the True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. So how did, uh, so did Chips get the call about Elvis, you know, wanting to record there? Yeah, well, there were some people who worked at American in the studio that uh, were his, what do they call it, Memphis Mafia, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And the studio manager was uh, Marty Lacker, who was a good friend of Elvis. Okay. George Klein, <clears throat> uh, who was disc jockey, uh, was a good friend of Elvis. And uh, I mean, these were close friends. And Red West was a writer at the studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, Elvis had booked uh, booked a week or two out in L.A. with uh, with some musicians out there. And anyway, the drummer Hal Blaine yes. had gotten sick, and so he was going to have to cancel. Cancel, and uh, <clears throat> I think it was Marty Lacker said, "Well." Instead of uh, canceling those dates, I mean, the, the week, why don't you go to American? Said they're having pretty good success down there uh, cutting records and said, uh, gosh, he hadn't been in Memphis in years, you know. He hadn't had a hit in seven years. Yeah, because he was <clears throat> he was doing all the movies and, right. and, and Movie the, the British Invasion had had all these other, you know, musical uh you know, kind of waves had come through, and he was he was busy doing these movies. Exactly. Yeah. So, who told you that you know Elvis is coming in? Uh, probably Marty, but okay. we weren't impressed. We've been working with everybody. Yeah. Uh, and at that point, yeah. Elvis wasn't. It wasn't. No, he, he wasn't, Elvis, a big he wasn't deal. cool. He wasn't cool. <laughs> and uh, I remember uh, Scotty Moore had traded his guitar, blonde, blonde. Uh, Super 400 Gibson. Oh, that's the famous guitar yeah. that he played, you know, in all, all the footage from the 50s. And he traded that guitar to Chips for a set of keyboard bells. <laughs> I couldn't believe he did that. So that guitar was in the studio all day. Yeah, that's a very I- iconic guitar. Yeah. So we sent it off. It needed some work done on it. We sent it off to Gibson, and they okay. uh, tweaked it up, you know. Yeah. And... Uh, I still wasn't thinking anything about Elvis coming. Yeah. I mean, like, boy, Elvis Presley. Yeah. But uh, we were in the studio, and the back door opened. And this is a funky old place, mm-hmm. American was. I mean, it's a bad part of town. It's just, it was it's a good, great place to cut records. But uh, anyway, the back door opened up, and we were standing there. And uh, I remember looking up and saying, Oh my, it's the king. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we all kind of took a step backwards, you know. Because yeah, he still I was, had it. I was surprised that I was that impressed over seeing him because of who he is, you know. Yeah. And we were all that way. Yeah. And uh, so he came in, he had his entourage with him, and like if he was going to smoke a, one of those little cigar, 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 mm-hmm. cigarette things, cigarellas, yeah. <laughs> There would be about four or five lighters trying to light it. And so is is Felton Jarvis? You know, is he producing? Chips Moon. Chips was producing. Okay, Felton so. was there, but okay. Chips produced. So Chips, so Chips was in charge. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's producing the album, but then you have, you've got the rhythm section, you've got the hangers on, right? 
And you've also got some label people there too, yes. or, or people that are uh, you know with with Elvis, right? And and they're they're putting uh, they're they're bringing up songs that they want Elvis to record that they've got. They had a policy. It said, "Well, uh, here's the songs we picked, uh, picked, oh. and it was uh, all those movie songs." Oh. And I remember he, back then you'd play on a little turntable the acetate of the okay. songs that you're going so, to do. So that's how you're playing the the demos, you yeah. know, of the songs for the for the players for right. everyone to hear. Oh. So the first song he played, uh, I I remember him asking me, he said, "You like that?" And I said, "No, not really." So Elvis asked you. That. Yeah. yeah. And then he asked, he turned to Bobby Wood and asked him the same thing, and Bobby said, "Oh man, that's awful." Yeah. And uh, then Felton said. Had me and Bobby come out in the hall. He yeah. said, "We've got all the material picked. Said, don't make waves." Yeah. And uh, I said, "Well, he asked me a question, and it was an awful song. It's not a, you know, top forty song or anything." Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> the moment pitched him, we had cut "Suspicious Mind" on Mark James, who wrote the song. Who wrote the song? Yeah. He pitched that song to Elvis, and. Uh, Getting away from those movie things. You know? Yeah. So did he pitch it by by playing by playing the acetate of it? Yeah. Okay. And uh, Elvis loved that song. He said, "Oh man, I like that. I'm going to do it." Okay. Well, when he walked out of the control room, it's a guy in a suit <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, went up to Moment and said, uh, "You know, if he does this song, he said we got to have the publishing on it." And that didn't sit too well with Moman, and uh, Moman said, well, said, we got a reputation for cutting hit records. If you don't want to do that, why don't you get all these people, Elvis and all everybody's with him, and get out? Yeah. That's why he told him. He said, well, I know you might be the president of RCA, and he was a, a vice president of RCA. Okay. And uh, anyway, that got back, I think George Klein told Elvis, what was going on in the control room? Okay. You know? So, so where is so is Elvis out out in the uh, in the in the main room? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Elvis came in and said, "I'm going to cut that song," and uh, they'd called Colonel Sanders, Colonel Tom. I mean, yeah, and uh, <laughs> Colonel Sanders. <laughs> that's, that's more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, and uh, Colonel Parker and. Uh, yeah. I said, well, let him, he said, well, let him go ahead and do those songs. And there's not going to be anything happen with them anyway. Okay. So and so we got suspicious money, just about like how we did it with Mark. Okay. Because we'd all played on Mark. And uh, everything on that album, uh, you know, was good songs. It wasn't that, uh, that pile that he brought with him. Yeah. And they all turned out great. And, oh, he, the, the entourage had left. Mm-hmm. And all those hangers on, they left Elvis and the five of us in the band and Moman and Felton and a couple, one engineer from Marchier. And, uh, man, we got down to some serious, serious recording because he wanted, he knew he hadn't had a hit in so long and he wanted to out, do his best, you know. He was hungry. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we did that and then the ghetto and... About three or four hits off of that album yeah. were really yeah. big. It looks like you cut around 30 songs. Yeah, we did. Yeah, and then it was kind of separated out into a, a couple of albums. Yeah. So <clears throat> you you cut, 
you know these these sides with Elvis was uh, did Elvis give any type of instruction during the uh, during the sessions? Did no, he he uh, he would come out in the, in the big room with us. We'd all sit around and talk about it. Okay, uh, but uh, he didn't tell anybody what to play. Yeah, did, he just wanted to do the right thing. You know, he just wanted it to be great. Yeah, yeah. Did he ever? Did he uh, recognize Scotty's guitar? You know, I don't know. I don't yeah. know if he did or not. Yeah. But I played it on the, on the album on a lot of the songs. Yeah, the Super Four Hundred. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, and Suspicious Minds. Looking back, it turned out to be the biggest record that was ever recorded in Memphis. Forty, forty million copies. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of that's a lot of copies. Yeah. Of uh, yeah. Did Elvis? You know. There's there's shots of him, of course, holding like uh, uh, Tommy Cogbill's bass. Yeah. And uh, did did he uh, was he picking up people's instruments and playing them or sitting down at the piano yeah, and stuff just like that? Yeah. Walking around. And just, yeah. yeah. But then when it got to business, he was just right. he no, was he wasn't playing anything. Yeah. Yeah. So the sessions end, and then uh, that that's kind of it. Did, did something happen in between uh, Elvis and Chips or what? Or was, maybe I know, don't know what it was. Nobody's ever talked to me yeah. about it because it seems like you know they, you had such success yeah. together, and you're right there in Memphis, and then and then it's it's over. It's over. With you know, and, and right. yeah, suspicious minds in the ghetto, Kentucky <laughs> rain, on right. and on and on, and and none of the, you know, and, and you don't record together again except for the the stacks, you know, thing later. Right. Yeah. But, and that was that was really different because uh, it was partly his road band and. Part of us, uh -huh. American, and uh, I remember it about it seemed like it was about two a.m. in the morning. Felton came over to me and said, "Reggie, no yawning on the sessions." <laughs> I said, "Man, look at the time." Yeah. He said, "Well, if the king walked in, it looked like he weren't interested." Yeah. And I said, "Man, where's he at? <laughs> you know? Where's the king at?" So he came in with his entourage, and I don't think I even spoke to him at stacks. Yeah. After all the success we had at American, the uh, the sessions before at American, yeah. uh, how did was Ronnie Millsap involved? Was did he did he play on Kentucky Rain? Yeah, There's, he did. Yeah. Okay, so why did he play instead of a Bobby and, and? I don't know. I think it was after the fact. Okay. they decided they overdubbed. Went, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, he wasn't on the sessions when we did it. It was okay. overdub. Then we get we, uh, Dusty in Memphis. Yeah. So uh, Dusty Springfield, you know, Atlantic decides to to bring her down to American, yeah. and uh, and is Tom Dowd is is producing that, or is it Arif? Who? That's a good question. Okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> think about so, that. So, uh, so, so you're playing, and and from the the reports are that uh, she was uh, she was unwilling to sing, at at in, at any of the sessions. Yeah, that she was used to having a. a Substitute sing her part, okay, and then she'd come in after Brecker was cut and do the vocal. So she would have a stunt vocalist <clears throat> yeah. that would that would sing during the tracking sessions, right? And, and then she would overdub her, vo her but vocal, but not with us. Okay. <laughs> she, she, when she came in the back door back there, I mean, she was looking around and said, "Oh man, this place yeah. is really really bad." Yeah, but it sounded great, and yeah. uh, you'd hear her. Going through scale, oh, ha, 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 <laughs> you know, and uh, but uh, she wasn't used to that because I remember some songs 
different ones would ask, including me, you like that, Dusty? She became part of our rhythm section, yeah. you know. To say, well, I'm going to play this. What do you think? You like that? Yeah. And she didn't know how to answer it. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it would be difficult for a singer who's not singing on the session to make sure that the song's in the right key for I her. I know, I know. And it, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. No. No, but but I guess she pulled it off anyway because it's a, it's an amazing album. Oh, it still yeah. sounds good. Yeah. yeah, and of course the you know the the best known song is "Son of a Preacher Man," right. and your iconic you know intro lick to it. Which what made you think of that kind of sliding sixth and then know. the open E string and then the high harmonic? I don't know. I just yeah. have to be sitting there doing it. Yeah, know. because that doesn't seem like something like uh, like a straight melody. Or I mean, it's it's no. a really cool kind of lick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back then, you'd try to play uh, an, something in the intro that would be, uh, if you heard it on the radio, oh, that's so-and-so coming up. Yeah. Yeah. You tr- tried to play something that, that was kind of iconic for, yeah. the, for the artist. Right. Yeah. You know, that, that album is a, is a great, you know, kind of timeless album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, also during that time, you, uh, you of course, you worked, uh, you, you did some other kind of iconic intros to songs, and a couple were on this, uh, you know, on the, on the electric sitar. So that was. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so, how did you end up with an electric sitar? Jerry Wexler <laughs> sent it down from New York. He said I didn't know what to do with it, and. Yeah. and uh, so it hung around the studio for oh, two or three months. I remember I was working with Dan Penn. We were doing a group called The Box Tops. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and Dan said, won't you play something on that funny-looking guitar? Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and so you did Cry Like cry a Baby. Cry Like a Baby, yeah. yeah. And then they started wanting people to come in and start wanting sitar on it. It's, it's, it's like anything else. Once some, once a new sound catches on, yeah, to you wear it out. Yeah. <laughs> so then you had uh, you know B.J. Thomas is hooked on a feeling, yeah. and used that on, on on some other records too. Yeah. So all of a sudden, American Studios kind of comes to an end. So what what happened? Yeah. Well. One thing that was discussed was that uh, they were talking more about high and stacks, and we could we cut all these records and never see any press about it, you know. Okay. So Mom said, "Why don't we go to Atlanta, and if we do the same thing in Atlanta that we did here, uh, you know, we'll all be part of it." Okay. And uh, so we were all seeing dollar signs, you know. Okay. So we packed up and. Shut it down and moved to Atlanta. So there wasn't anything that, that so it was basically the city of Memphis and the press was not giving uh, you know chips in the in the in the rhythm section kind of the the right. respect that right. it felt like it was deserved and so it was like well if they're if they're not going to treat us right we're we're just gonna we're gonna leave town right and it had started dwindling down to okay the Memphis music scene but also there was. Uh, the work with Atlantic was kind of was kind of ending. Yeah. yeah. Was there something that happened between Chips and, mm-hmm. and Jerry Wexler? Or? I don't know. No, I, well, Wexler moved over to Muscle Shoals. Okay. And he was also working in, in Miami also with Criterion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so we, we did that. I thought Chips yeah. was sort of talking. He said, we all moved to Atlanta. And... Uh, 
gosh, the next couple of weeks, uh, the board came out and <laughs> got on a truck and went to Atlanta. Yeah. <clears throat> now, one of the one of the last one of the later sessions that you did at American was uh, John Prine's first album. Oh yeah. Yeah, which. You know, he, uh, you know, many of those songs are are, are very, you know, they're they're fantastic. Uh, they're uh, and, uh, they are. and uh, you know, it, it wasn't until after I heard it that I found out that you had, you know, you had played on, on that on that album. And uh, was that one of the last ones that you recorded there? Yeah, maybe so. I'm not okay. sure. Well, no. Uh, Good time, Charlie's got the blues. I oh, think wow. because when I moved over here, it was on the air. It's playing okay. on the radio. Okay. So it's Danny O'Keefe. Danny O'Keefe. And on, on that song, that that has uh, you, know, you playing this volume swells, right? You know, in in the uh, in kind of the fills and and the and the intro to the song. Yeah. And uh, and so 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 you moved to Atlanta. Did you actually did you move your family down to Atlanta? Yeah. Okay. So you moved to Atlanta, and then what happens? Well, we just sat and looked at each other. <laughs> we didn't. We were we recorded Roger Meller. Okay. But nothing became of that. And uh, I remember after I was there a couple of months, I told told Chips, I said, I hate to do this, but i got to cut you loose. We were very close friends. Yeah. I need to get back to work, you know. I said, we're not doing anything. I can't see where we will do anything. So I gave my two weeks' notice, and I came back through Nashville on the way going back to Memphis. Mm -hmm. And I stopped at... Quadraphonic Studios. Okay. To see Norbert and David Briggs. David yeah. Briggs was a good friend. That you knew from the Muscle Shoals yeah. days. Yeah. And David said, uh, "I said, would you like to work while you're here?" And I said, "Well, sure. Why not?" And I've been here ever since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then you you so you uprooted your family from from Memphis, took them to Atlanta, then you, you drove to Nashville, and also and then you you moved to moved them to Nashville. Yeah. So you've been playing on, you know, pop and R&B, you know, and singer-songwriter kind of albums. And all of a sudden, I mean, were you a little trepidatious to move to Nashville, which is mainly known for, you know, for country, country music? Yeah. 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 But some of the producers I had worked with in Memphis, like Fred Foster, uh, Buddy Kellen, mm -hmm. uh, they used to bring acts from Nashville over to Memphis. So, and they always tried to... Reggie, you need to move to Nashville. I said, no, nah, I don't think I want to be in that country music thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, but it worked out good when I when they heard I was in town, they booked me on their roster, you yeah. know. And so you you said that Good Time Charlie's Got the Blues was was at the top of the charts. Yeah. When uh, when you when you moved to Nashville, right. so that that was kind of one of your calling cards at that point. It was because a lot of uh, artists at the time said. Well, get that uh, guitar player that's playing on. They thought it's still a guitar player. Okay, yeah, and because uh, of the volume yeah. swells. Yeah, and that's, so I got hired from that record, and then Dobie Gray happened. We did uh, Drift Away, yeah. and that solid. I was in solid then. Yeah, because all the country singers. Well, I don't think a guitar player played on Dover Gray's record, you know. Because yeah, that was a, a, a big, you know, pop hit. Yeah. And it's such an iconic, you know, intro. So right. what what made you think to kind of arpeggiate, you know, the the, the chords, you know, for an intro? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I sort of stole from myself. I had written a song years ago with a friend of mine, uh, Red Williams, and uh, it was sort of like that, the intro to that old song, and uh, it just came up. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I kept that style. I didn't really change a lot when I moved over here. Uh, I played pretty much the way I did in Memphis. And only I was doing a lot of country music, but yeah. at at that time, kind of the uh, the top you know guitar player probably would have been Grady Martin, you know, and and he was playing the kind of the the big you know Gibson three thirty five right. Echoplex <clears throat> Fender amp yeah. type sound and his type of playing, which didn't really have much bending in it or yeah. or volume swells or. Or it was, it was he kind of had his own kind of jazzier style yeah. of playing. He was a he was a great player. He was yeah. sort of an idol. Yeah. I remember I, when I first moved over here, I was on a session, and uh, the producer said, uh, "Reggie, play this, uh, play the chorus on this song on this song we're doing, like Grady Martin." Yeah. And I thought for a long time, I said. Doesn't he live here? <laughs> like, uh, and everybody laughed. Yeah. And I said, I, I mean, I really couldn't figure out why he, on earth, he would hire me to play like Grady Martin when he could get, all he has to do is call Grady. Right. And uh, anyway, they thought that was funny, and I like never lived that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you had a different playing style, you know, from, from the other players in Nashville, and you had a different sound. So were you mainly using Fender guitars? You know, yeah. You using, yeah. So yeah. You, you had like the, the, your your Tele and and that yeah. that Tele right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and then you ended up buying buying the Strat. And so right. so the 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 Nashville sound because many people think oh the Telecaster is the is the Nashville sound, but it wasn't really. It, no. You know, it was it was more of the the Gretsch and Gibson type right. you know sound all through fifties, sixties, and in, into the seventies. And so you were part of the you know kind of. Vanguard of, of of you know that the the Fender sound you know yeah. as far as in in Nashville, but uh, yeah. this this guitar uh, the front pickup is a Bill Lawrence pickup. Okay, and uh, it just sounds it sounds like an acoustic guitar. Yeah, uh, I've never played a guitar actually that sounded like that. Yeah. But that, that's not the pickup that you had in the guitar back then, is no, it? No, I had uh, the original pickup. Yeah. We went somewhere in L.A. to play with Dobie Gray, and uh, I couldn't turn my volume up without my guitar squealing back. Because you were getting feedback right. off, the, off the neck pickup. So when I got back home, I, I uh, had that one modified. Yeah. So Drift Away, very... Uh, you know, again, iconic guitar parts, and you have the uh, the kind of the fat-toned intro and fills on the verses, and then you have the really twangy low string, right. you know, kind of licks on the choruses. Some people have indicated that was two different players. Was was that you playing? Both that was me playing. The the fills was done with the Les Paul. Okay. And uh, I think I had a '69 Les Paul. I, I've still got it, uh, but that's what I played the fills with. Mm -hmm. The other parts were played with a telly, okay. twangy stuff. Yeah, and and I might have doubled doubled what I played at the intro. It, it yeah. sounds the intro sounds like it's been doubled, and like maybe they messed with the tape speed or something because it yeah. almost sounds like chorus. Yeah, yeah, because there was no chorus at, at, no. at, at, at and that. And they point. used to could do that. They yeah. 
uh, slow the tape down or speed it up and mm -hmm. do it again, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I forgot, well, I forgot about that. Yeah. There was an, another kind of iconic uh, intro that's really ear-catching is the, you know, the I can help. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I found a, a clip online of you showing how to play that lick. So people can look on, on YouTube and there's, a, uh, there's footage of you showing a, a gentleman in, in Sweden how to play that lick. So if you want to learn how to play the, the opening riff to I can help, uh, you can... Uh, you can you can uh, you know, Google that, as it were. That's funny. When we yeah. recorded that, uh, I was just sitting there goofing off, yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, Chip Young <clears throat> was a producer, and he said, hey, that would make a good intro. I said, yeah. you've got to be kidding. Because <laughs> you were just doing kind of a finger exercise. Yeah, that's yeah. all I was doing. Yeah. And uh, I said, maybe I can put another part with it and make it sound a little better. So yeah. I, I did that whole tone scale. Yeah. And... Uh, so that's where that came up. He played the solo. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was, huh. boy, trying to play that live is hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. the way you, because uh, you kind of figured out a way to play it, you yeah. know, one guitar part, you know, to, to yeah. play it live. Yeah. And it is, it, I was, I was, you know, yeah, it, it's difficult to play. I was trying to, <laughs> you know, figure it out last night. So yeah. you have a number of, uh, well, actually, you, first off, you have a, a, a website now. It's called Re Yeah. And one of the projects that's really, you know, fascinating is that you have your uh, your session books, and you you kept uh, pretty meticulous, uh, you know, records of the uh, of the sessions that you played on. I had heard that that was somewhat of a Memphis thing, where it was, you know, of course, making sure that you got paid. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've kept all these these records, and so on many of these albums, you know, going back, there there aren't good you know you know credits, but then because of your your uh, your session books, uh, they're able to kind of see who who played on things, at least you know on yeah. the sessions that you played on. Uh, so, at the time they came up, you know, yeah. And, uh, and so <laughs> part on so on on your website, they're going through year by year, and so they've done 1964 right. so far, and they're and they're 65. I'm guessing will be next, and you'll kind of go through and be able to see, you know, all the different things that you played on, you know, every year. That is, that's that's fantastic that you have a, a, a record of all uh, of that. Yeah. That's funny. I would, yeah, I'd look at the, after I work a month or so, I'd look at my book, and if it was a blank, I say, uh oh, I haven't been paid for that session, you know. Yeah. So I had to call him. Yeah, you got to make sure you get paid. <laughs> you got to do that. <laughs> you yeah. <got> to. <laughs> so, so you played on on Drift Away and I Can Help, and all of a sudden you start playing with the big country acts overnight. It seems like all of a sudden you're playing on on Waylon Jennings records. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did Chips Moman produced uh, Old Waylon, but uh, but when did you start working with Waylon? Hmm, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I don't okay. know. I have to. I'll look it up. We'll have to look it up in the book. So, but but uh, were you were you introduced to him? Or were the first time you met him on a session? Uh, I was. I did a, I did a record with uh, Jesse Coulter, his, his wife. wife. I'm not Lisa. That's okay. the name of the record. Yeah. And that's the first time I met him. He came in, and he was dressed in black, and his hair was all down his neck. And, uh, he looked like he'd been up about three or four days. Okay. And another thing I remember, he wasn't making any sense at all. He was talking 
or either thinking faster than he could talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just gibberish. Yeah. I didn't know what he was saying. Was, was that uh, that was perhaps that was a time when he was uh, uh, you know abusing some substances? Probably so. Yeah. So uh, you started you know working working with Waylon, and uh, you played on some I- iconic songs with him, like Lukenbach, Texas, yeah. which is uh, you know another one of those songs. That gets, yeah, Mo- you know, Moman did that. Yeah. yeah. And so Moman and Bobby Emmons wrote that song. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so is that you playing the intro? Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, it's with his band, too. Okay. I'm the only studio player that's yeah. on that record. Why does a guitar player like Waylon Jennings have his road band, and then why does he call you to come <laughs> in? Yeah. I don't know. He, he'd like to keep up with Quadrophonic Studios. Okay. And I worked over there a lot, and he was very yeah. familiar with, uh, with yeah. the players over there. Yeah. So was 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 Waylon a bit of a fan of your playing? Yeah, yeah. And I first met him, according to Waylon, uh, when I was on the Louisiana Hayride. Okay. And I, he said he was a disc jockey down in Texas, and I, I came through there with uh, uh, Johnny Horton. And Johnny Horton was promoting the record, and he stopped by that radio station to get Waylon to play his record. Okay. And he said he and we must have played at show day that night or something. Yeah. But why didn't he remember me being there? Okay. I don't remember it. Yeah. But he is. And you ended up playing on 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 most of his albums. Yeah. Yeah. And so did did y'all form a friendship? Very much so. Yeah. Uh, I worked with him. I went out with him with the Highwaymen. Right. And also with Waylon, is right. when he had his last band. His fa- his final tour. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we had a great time. So we've got Waylon. You're playing on hits with him. Then how do you get the call to uh, to play with Merle Haggard? Jimmy Bowen, probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know it was. Yeah. Uh, they called "Just Stay Here and Drink." Yes. With Bowen, it was in that album. Right. Uh, so back, <laughs> back to the bar rooms. Yeah. Yeah. So now Merle has you know already had you know uh, Phil Baugh and 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 uh, James Burton and oh, Roy Nichols and all these yeah. different players. So how did how did you get to be the next guy in the chair playing playing lead you know on Merle's records? I don't know. Probably with Bowen. Yeah. Probably because of yeah. Bowen. Because before he was kind of using his road band at that point yeah. on his records, and then all of a sudden, I guess when when Bowen came in, he decided to you know bring in something yeah. fresh. And when Bowen uh, started doing a lot of stuff in town, I was the guitar player with Bowen, so I played on all his artists that he had. Right. And uh, also I went out to uh, Redding, California, um, where Merle, he had a studio out there mm-hmm. himself, and got to do a lot of stuff out there with him. Yeah. And, uh, so you you mentioned the track. Uh, I think I'll just stay here and drink. That's I mean that's one one of my personal you know favorites. <laughs> wow. And it's just a it's a great it's a really funky track because yeah. of the uh, uh, because of the the rhythm section. So uh, and yeah. there's a video of you kind of talking about the song. You said that that was Larry London. Yeah, right. And, exactly. Yeah. And what kind of good what kind of direction? Did uh, did Merle Haggard give you because he's he's a pretty good guitar player himself yeah. and he's had such great players. So was he giving you direction? Butterball. He used to play with Ernest Tab. Okay. He said, "Think like Butter Butterball." Not everybody would know who he is. Mm-hmm. And George Benson. Okay. That's the opposite. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
So I, I just didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. Yeah. So I just. You just played, did, did, yeah. the best, did the best you could. And then yeah. uh, as we started uh, to fade, uh, I was playing and the light was still on, so I just kept playing. Mm-hmm. And I did five solos on that record. Yeah. Before they finally cut it off, I didn't know they'd use all of them, but uh, <clears throat> it's it's a fantastic song. Part of it because it's just such a great groove and it's such a great jam by all all the players on yeah, it. Yeah, it is. And uh, your solos really build in a in a nice way. And, and to oh, where man. some of your uh, one of your middle solos, you really start playing some uh, some little hot licks, <laughs> playing some fast uh, things on there, and then some of the funky pull offs. And it sounds like it's the strat your, your Stratocaster. Is that was That's that the guitar? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great, you know, a great one. Wow. So, otherwise, it, Merle didn't give you any cut, any other kind of direction, like no. as far as tone or, you know, no. yeah. And you just used a Strat and a and a, and a Fender right. amp. Did you use any kind of effects at all or anything? I don't think so. Okay. It's a, yeah. uh, uh, that 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 amp there. Okay. Use, that, that Silver Face Deluxe. Yeah. Yeah. So then we, you know, get into the the 1980s, and uh, and uh, again, you're you're playing on tons of recordings. So you played on, you know, George Strait, you know, one of the big, you know, kind of more modern country artists. <laughs> yeah. You know, you you played on most of his hits throughout the 80s and early 90s. So songs like uh, the Chair and the Fireman, yeah. you know, those those are all you, all you. And so I I can remember growing up in Texas. I've I've uh, playing in bands. I've Played many of your licks without knowing that it was you. Oh wow! You know? And uh, so you know, Reba with uh, Little Rock. Uh, one of one of my favorite. Uh, another one of my favorite Waylon tunes is uh, Rose in Paradise. Oh played yeah, some really nice. I uh, like that one too. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, you worked with Dolly Parton. Yeah, yeah. And the one that I this is actually from the from the seventies that I forgot to mention was J.J. Kale. You played on the original oh, yeah. version of Cocaine. Yeah, yeah. And some of us you. So again, J.J. Kale is such a, a you know such a great kind of uh, you know guitar player that was a big influence on Clapton and, and Martin Offler and other people, and he's asking you to play guitar on his record. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's and, fantastic. Uh, the phone rang a couple of years ago. Okay. And I answered, "Hello," and he said, uh, "The voice said uh, I want to speak to Reggie," and I said, "This is him." He said, "Well, this is Eric Clapton." And I thought, yeah, right. I almost hung up. I mean, I almost hung up, honey. Okay. And he was doing a tribute album on J.J. Yes. He said, do you still remember, uh, he named some songs that I played on. I said, probably, yeah, if I heard them <laughs> enough, you know. <laughs> so I played on Eric's, I guess this is his last album. Yeah. And, uh, but he uh, flew his uh, engineer in, to Nashville, and okay. he and I got in the studio and did three songs. Yeah. So was that was that kind of fun to be able to reconnect with Eric Clapton? After? Yeah, yeah, that was. Yeah. Really was. Yeah. So another, uh, you know, Steve Warner. Steve Warner's another phenomenal guitar player Absolutely. in his own right. But yeah. yet he would always have you play on his records. Yeah, cause, I mean, well, Steve, yeah. I worked with Bowen a lot, and okay. Bowen, Bowen would get me to play the solo and stuff, and I trying to tell him... Man, you know, you should let uh, Steve play. He's okay. a good player. So eventually, that's what happened. Yeah, but he, even when Steve was, you know, playing, you know, some of the solos, you were still playing guitar on his oh, records. Oh yeah. yeah, So then, but he, 
so I guess Steve was such a uh, in, enjoyed your playing so much he would continue to have you play. <laughs> oh, I guess yeah. I, I guess so. I don't yeah, know. yeah. So that Roseanne Cash you played yeah. you know played on some of her you know er, early recordings. Uh, you know more haggard sessions than uh, you have. Uh, That's the way love goes. Yeah. That's another, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, guitar solo, you know, that really, you know, kind of lifts the song up. Yeah. That's something that's kind of a, a constant in, in, you know, your contribution to, to these, you know, recordings is you always lift up the song without taking people's attention away from, from the singer. So what were some of the things that, that, uh, that helped guide you in, in, in playing guitar parts that lifted up the song without being a distraction or without playing on top of what other people are doing? No, I guess I listen to the lyrics a lot. Yeah. And uh, not to overpower the vocalist. Yeah. And, uh, but if something came up, oh, it'd be nice, guitar fail or something. Yeah. And uh, I never tried to... Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's his records, not, not my records, you right. know. Yeah, you're, you're being paid, you know, <laughs> yeah. and their name is on, the, <laughs> on exactly. the front of the jacket. What were some of the best advice that you've gotten through the years, you know, as a musician? Well, probably, well, if you're with the right players, uh, to become part of the band, don't try to be an individual mm -hmm. uh, and just hog everything, you know. Um, somebody wants to play something, uh, give them a chance to do that. It depends on the musicians that you're with. Mm -hmm. You know, there's sometimes there's new players that come in and the minute they count the song off, they're playing from front to back. Mm -hmm. they say, well, I guess I don't need to be here, yeah. <laughs> you know? Why are you name-checked in a Jimmy Buffett song? Well, he he wrote, he sang a song called God's Own Drunk. Mm -hmm. And... There's a line in the song, he said, I, said, I don't mean I was just drunk, I was Reggie Young and Commode hugging drunk. Yeah. He just made that up. That uh -huh. wasn't true. Okay. <laughs> no. But it sounds good. It sounds good. And after, after we got through with a the, with the song, he came over and he said, do you mind me saying that? And I said, no, nah, what are you? Anyway, after my son grew up, he was in school, mm -hmm. And he came home and they said, "Come on, hugging drunk." He <laughs> <laughs> you also worked with uh, with Hank Jr. Yeah. You know, all my rowdy friends are coming. All all these you yeah. know, born to boogie. All these songs you you, you played on. Uh, then then you had the the class of '55, which Moman uh, tried to get something going again in in Memphis, and right. so he had uh, Jerry Lee Lewis and and Roy Orbison right. and Carl Perkins and uh, and Johnny Cash. You know, all all came back to American, which at this point has been kind of gutted. Yeah. But uh, but but so you recorded again in American. Right. Yeah. I I enjoy going back to American. I know Roy Orbison was scared of that. Okay. I don't know why. He because he wasn't familiar with the songs he was doing, I guess. Okay. And uh, Ricky Nelson was in the crowd in the studio oh, that wow. night, and he got killed right after that. Okay. And that plane plane crash. Right. And uh, who else? The judge. And uh, anyway, it was a nice homecoming. Yeah. But uh, they had made the studio into a tourist stop by then. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, had pictures hanging up on it. I was stood right here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was a little cheesy, but yeah. uh, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed going back. 
another another you know kind of icon was uh, you know or is Willie Nelson. So you yeah. started working on Willie Nelson. You played yeah. on Always on My Mind, which right. is a huge hit, and you played on a lot a lot of his records. Yeah. And uh, so again, you have an, a great guitar player that you know is is asking you to play on the records. Was that partially because of Chips, or did did Willie know you? Uh, Willie knew me. We okay. uh, we had probably uh, become friends through through Chips. It's funny. Sometimes Willie would play something. I know when we were doing the Highwaymen, <clears throat> Willie would play a solo. Mm -hmm. And uh, his guitar is named uh, Trigger, mm -hmm. and uh, sometimes he'd play a solo. And and I remember J.R. Cobb was the other guitar player, and he said, "Boy, it sounded like Trigger kicked a slat out of his stall." <laughs> you know, and then the next night it would just be perfect. You know? <laughs> but he he's a good player when yeah. when he wants to be, I guess. Yeah. So then you know the Highwaymen. So mm -hmm. again, that's that's Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, Johnny Cash, and Waylon Jennings, and this is you. Uh, so Chips kind of reunites the American rhythm section. Yeah. So of course you don't, and you have Mike Leach instead of Tommy Cogbill. Right. But he was still part of that, and uh, all of a sudden here you are with a you know especially with Waylon and uh, Willie Nelson, you were two again two other great guitar players, and and you're the lead player with them. Yeah. And uh, so so who who. You know, was that kind of a unanimous decision? Was there any jockeying for position as far as like who's going to be the lead guitar player on no, this tour? No, yeah, yeah, not really. Reggie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They sort of left me alone. Yeah. Do whatever you want to do. You know, yeah. you're playing that that sixty. You know, the footage shows you yeah. you're pretty much playing that '69 black Telecaster, and uh, and uh, and you're playing all those artists' music. Was that the first time you worked with Johnny Cash? No. Okay. Uh, I knew him back in, uh, gosh, back in the 50s when okay. he first started. Yeah. Him and Luther Perkins. and okay. uh, They had a 15-minute or a 30-minute radio program in Eddie Bond's station okay. that he worked at yeah. on Saturdays, the yeah. live radio show. Anyway, we go way back. <laughs> This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, TrueTone.com.